Welcome to Theologically Thinking. Today's noted scholar is Father John McGuckin, who discusses what is Christmas without Christ. It's always a blessing and a pleasure to have Father John McGuckin on the program. He's here today to talk about our question of the month. What is Christmas without Christ? Welcome back to the show, Father. Thanks, Father. It's lovely to talk to you again. A lot of Christians get very upset about Happy Holidays replacing Merry Christmas and nativity scenes being replaced by scenes of snowmen and Santa Claus. But is that necessarily a bad thing? These are some of the things I want to talk to you about. Is this maybe a chance for us to reconnect with the early church in a new and in a meaningful way? Yes, it's an interesting question. uh, Before I came to America, I lived in uh, England, and Europe is much more, if you like, um, secularized and diverse, uh, diverse religiously with many Asian religions uh, and also uh, more militant atheism and secularism alongside uh, a solid Christian idea. So I, was, I grew up and I was used to not having um, any longer a, a dominant Christian sensibility, if you like. And, and they tried very, very hard in the schools to get a multicultural approach to religion. Mm-hmm. And one wag put it this way, because in schools in, in Europe, you know, they, some places still have um, religious uh, service at the beginning of the day. So somebody suggested they should have as the opening hymn, uh, Buddha loves me, this I know, because the Koran tells me so. And uh, I thought that was pretty nicely done. Wow. And, and it shows you one... One extreme that I don't think we want to go to with uh, mm-hmm. multicultural awareness. But, you know, the early church um, projected its liturgical festivals. In other words, it, it deliberately brought the festivals of Pascha and Christmas, Pentecost and, and Theophany, right to the fore of secular consciousness in order to... Um, take the wind out of the mm-hmm. pagan festivals that were taking place at those times. It wasn't um, that there was a great Christian festival, and then the pagans or the secularists or somebody else uh, you know, did, so, did something to erode that. Uh, we, in the 3rd and 4th centuries, as a missionary strategy of the Church, tried to dislocate the pagan festivals. Mm-hmm. So I think the message for me, when people say, Happy Holidays, particularly in New York, where, where I live, with a very large and active Jewish community, the, Christmas stands on the toes of Hanukkah and vice versa. Um, so you, you, one's very much aware that at Christmas, one's Jewish friends are celebrating Hanukkah. Um, and of course, Indian religion celebrates Diwali, and th- there's always some, some kind of a celebration on. there, yeah. So people are, are, are trying, in a, in a way, uh, to manifest this sense of, of Christianity in, in, a, in a broader world. Um, my, my feeling is that, you know, when you're in a church environment, uh, Orthodox know how to behave. So, in, in fact, we don't say Merry Christmas. We, we say Christ is born mm-hmm. and glorify him. At, at Pascha, we say Christ is risen. Christ is truly risen. Um, though many Orthodox actually get drawn into Happy Easter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, she's a pagan goddess of fertility. <laughs> you know, I mean, what have we got to do with Yosta? Um, it's just a way of, of expressing 
one's happiness at the season. Um, There's also this issue that we are, as a church, bringing people to the church maybe once or twice a week now. Yes. Whereas prior to this, of course, the neighborhood church where people would walk to the church was prominent in the early uh, centuries. So now we have the fact that we're scattered. We're in suburbia. Even if you're in the city, you have to usually take a subway to get to the church. And now we have also this huge tidal wave of media coming at us. So it's not as if Christianity has this prominent location within society itself. We live within that society, and that's, a, that's an issue for us. Yes. So we can either do one of two things. We can say, all right, let's go and isolate ourselves. Let's put up this huge fence around us, and we'll only deal with Orthodox Christians, <laughs> or which is ridiculous, but people say that. Well, some Orthodox are trying to do that. Yeah, which I don't, I mean, if you're in a monastery, I, I respect that. Yes, I yes. can see that. But when you live in society, you cannot do that. You can't do that to yourself. You can't do that to your children, in my opinion. Yeah. So if we're going to live in the world, but be not of the world, help us, Father John, to be in the world, but not of the world, when it deals with this particular holiday. Well, I mean, my, my approach to it, uh, you know, I'm a historian by training, uh, as well as a priest. I, I always kind of look back to the, the, the golden ages of the Church, maybe we're in a golden age now, and the thing that comes across loud and clear to me is that the Church has the wit and the imagination and the audacity and the verve hmm. to use these social occasions where, in a, any given street, an Orthodox person might have a pagan neighbor, you know, agnostic neighbor, mm -hmm. atheist neighbor, well, certainly. Hindu, Jain, Buddhist, whatever. But they used the occasion in the early Church to say, Hey, it's happy season. This is what we're doing. So don't um, don't apologize for the fact that we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But I think it's also um, a gracious thing to remember that, well, there is such a thing as Diwali. That's why they've got their lights lit. And when you go up to the local rabbi and wish him happy Christmas, it might not be exactly yeah. the most tactful thing to do. This is basic courtesy, religious courtesy to other people. Um, but, you know, when I, I like the American thing, because when, when people say happy holidays, it's actually a perfect synthesis between the classical Byzantine greeting, be happy, herre, mm -hmm. herete, right. which the Byzantine Christians invented, huh. be happy. You know, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yes. And the Anglo-Saxon holidays being the holy days. So, happy holidays is actually pure Christian greeting. Be happy on the holy days. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, I, I for one would think I was going a bit too far to wish the Archbishop have a cool Yule. I mean, I think that's a bit... It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit un above. ...untoward. <laughs> but happy holidays is perfectly kosher. Um, and, it, and it does the duty of respecting our neighbor. But I would also say this. Let's not lose our own Orthodox traditions when you're in church with the brothers and sisters. Don't say Happy Holidays. Don't say Merry Christmas. Say Christ is born. Glorify him. Th these are our internal traditions, as you like. Well, it makes, it makes tremendous sense, too. And I, the other thing, I think, is that when we're in the season, as they say, uh, Christ is the reason for the season. There's all <laughs> kinds of uh, things they come up with. Um, 
But when we're in that season, I would think that that's also an opportunity to witness Christ. Christ would not have come, I don't think. Uh, I mean, he did throw the money changers out of the temple, okay. But he also showed love to everyone, no matter what stature of life, no matter what uh, place in life they had, in society. So what is ours? Ours is to look down upon people, to be sort of above them and look. I don't think that's our, our role. Do you, Father? No, absolutely not. And I, I'll, I'll tell you this, too, that there is something absolutely wonderful about Christmas, because it's, it's, I'm talking really about our experience in the West of Christmas. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to what it was like in Russia at Pascha time. I know in Russia and Romania, in, in, in Greece in the old times, the same wonderful spirit uh, comes around Pascha, and I've seen it in, in the Orthodox countries. But the Western Church is kind of dominating us here, and that, that wonderful spirit of Christmas. And whether people are, go to church or wherever, they, they get touched by it. The first tidal wave that hits people is this consumerist frenzy you know it's only 350 days left to christmas (laughs) by now but people very quickly get tired of that and whether whether they have a religious syntax a religious practice or not they're touched by the image of the poor virgin and the child and the poor family where where whether the very thought the very symbol whether the christians or not that god would actually be down there in the dirt of the stable, not up there with the hyper-rich having cocktails, that God would get down on his knees and get dirty. It's, it's the most beautiful and touching thing. Uh, and it's carried by, frequently for most people, by non-churchy things. It's carried by carols, which mm-hmm. weren't particularly our tradition, but a, a lot of Orthodox say to me, oh, we can't have carols, it's not Orthodox. And, and I said, well, you know, it actually is there in the Romanian tradition. Mm-hmm. It was on the Western borders. And, and even if it's not our tradition, it's a great thing. Some of them are wonderful. And, and it's a great teaching tool for our children, as well as for communicating with our other Christians and non-Christians around us. We've got great opportunities at Christmas time. For, for, if not putting Christ in, in, a, fan of, in a kind of in-your-face sense, mm-hmm. but pointing to the profound religious symbolism and the, the moving uh, message of Christmas. Uh, once we can pull away mammon and consumerism and superficial selfishness, many people share that uh, aspiration with us. Some of the latest studies that that I've found uh, will indicate, or do indicate, that 120 million people in the United States are interested or would be willing to change their house of worship. That's a huge amount of people. Now, what I attest that to is that people want a deeper spirituality. They are not sold on the fact that commercialism is the way to happiness, that they want a deeper relationship with God. And I believe that that is what orthodoxy, especially orthodox Christianity, presents to the world, that deeper spirituality and not a superficial sort of, I feel good about this, and we sang a couple songs and we went home. Yeah. I wonder if you could respond to that. 
I agree with you, um, and that's why you and I don't want to change our house of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also, as, as a church, have to learn a little more tact than we often show, because mm-hmm. when we say, look, we're orthodox, we've, we've you know, got the answers and so on, it often comes across as awful arrogance. Yes, it does. Now, I'm not saying that you know we, we don't have the answers or that we shouldn't stand up for what I'm not saying that. But uh, there are ways of doing things because our society now um, values ambivalence. And so if you want to put across a clear and cogent message and you do it in a forceful way, before you even get to the third word of your sentence, people will have closed off. Hmm. And I don't think we often get that. It's, it's a matter of syntactical communication with our modern age. We just don't get it very well. So we, we keep on banging the drum for our own people. But we don't do a very good job. And a lot of people say to me, the trouble with, uh, you know, um, I, I hear theologians involved in inter-church discussions and so on, and they often say to me, you know, the trouble with these orthodox communicators and so on, they're, they're terribly closed off, they're terribly arrogant. And I think, oh, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm sorry, you know, that, that, that you might think that about us. And I know many of the people, and I know that they're not arrogant people, they, they they feel that in a world of many ambivalences, they need to fly the flag in primary colors and, and, and very loud and high. But I think we have to learn and do a better job about the the subtleties of communicating with our contemporary world and our contemporary culture. Isn't there some uh, spiritual benefit in being reminded that not everyone knows the joy and the peace of Christ? I, I think we sometimes forget that. Absolutely, absolutely, and and we we also forget that the fundamental principle of the Lord's own mission is how He stated it. This is the Lord Himself defining and describing His mission in the world. I came to find out and save what was lost, mm-hmm. not. I came to find what was lost and slap it on the ears until it realized it was lost hmm. and came to convince it that it was lost. And, and sh- no, none of that. I came to seek out and find and rescue what was lost. It's from top to bottom, from beginning to end, it's a therapeutic mission. And the best of Orthodox spirituality for me has always been that it says, it doesn't matter. Let's start now. Let's let's do the fix. Orthodox spirituality is down to earth. It accepts people's weaknesses and sins and says, let's do the fix. Where are you hurting? Let's repair it. Because God, like the Lord himself on earth, God remains the constant good shepherd throughout history, seeking out to save what was lost. And that, for me means that one of the church's primary missions is not just to keep itself intact, preserve its own purity, make sure its own orthodoxy shines out in a a powerful way. Its primary mission is to relate to a world which is lost and suffering and in pain 
and get down on its knees and be humble like the Lord and offer itself as good news. Um, because in that humility, the humility of Christ himself, that's where the church really starts being the mm-hmm. church, you know? Um, I, I think that's, that's the message that we find at Christmas. It's the message that we find in all our great festivals, that the Spirit of God at Pentecost comes to work like leaven within the cosmos. It's the message of Pascha, that the Lord is glorified because of his humiliation and his sufferings, not in spite of it. It's the authentic face of the Orthodox Church, to be down there in the dirt with the people. I often remind myself that uh, saints in the church are not proclaimed until at least 100 to 200 years after a person's dead. So I I try to tell people, you know, go easy when you're proclaiming (laughs) your Christianity because it's not going to happen while you're still alive. Uh, How do we, as Orthodox Christians then, deal with the Christless Christmas that we are presented by secular society? Should we be holding up signs about Jesus? Should we be staying home so that we can keep a strict fast? I mean, what do we do, Father John? Well, it's, it's, it's very difficult to ob- observe the fasts in, in, in this culture that has no conception of a fast. It's, it's different in the old countries like Greece, where even if, if, if people no longer observe the liturgical custom, the fasts are built into the fabric of the week. You know, it's just second nature for people to go vegan on Wednesdays and Fridays. Here, as you get closer to Christmas, the, the whole of the Christmas nativity fast is, is like in office situations and in schools, and it, it's just one party after another yes, party. Yes. And it's just difficult. And, and, I, and I always say to people, set the, set the terms of, of your ascetic preparation and, and just try and keep the course and try and keep it in mind um, in the circumstances that one's in, you know, um, and, and just do something, do something, and try and keep, try try and keep it going. But I think really, um, the 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 key thing in in those great moments of society celebrating around Christmas or Pascha um, is that we Orthodox try and remember for ourselves that it revolves around Christ. Mm-hmm. And try and do something um, where that becomes a reality in our families. I'm thinking particularly of, of, of families with children, parents and, and with children, and to make it a beautiful experience. It could be something like, I don't know whether you have in America the Advent calendar, mm-hmm. uh, where you open up a little... We used to do this with our children, and you opened up, you know, January, December the 1st or whatever it was, and inside was a little chocolate. Well, wow. I mean, it immediately contradicts the fast, right. but the kids were jumping up and down mm-hmm. because on the 24th of December, there was a really big door that they opened up, and there was the scene in the manger. You know? So the little ritual, I always felt that giving them the chocolate, uh, you know, they got so excited at the, at the thought of marking off the days of December towards Christmas that that was something we did in the morning. Um, many Orthodox homes have the icon corner, and uh, when we were little, my mother used to have a, a wooden donkey 
from Bethlehem, a little tiny little thing. And she kept moving it closer and closer to the icon corner uh, throughout Christmas. Wow, that's <laughs> and something. She, she didn't put it there until January the 6th. Incredible. And we were watching this wooden donkey move through the room. And it's little things, imaginative things, artistic things. But that's what you remembered, isn't it? You know, and, and lighting a candle at night time and maybe singing a carol, even mm. though it's a, a Western custom, uh, a well-known carol. Or, or a, uh, a a beautiful troparion song or something. When you do that with children, they remember that for the rest of their lives. Finally, Father, are there uh, three things you'd like to encourage all of our listeners today to do this Christmas season? Be kind to one another. Mm. <laughs> That's the perennial one. Mm-hmm. Um, draw up a list of Christmas gifts. I mean, everybody does that anyway, don't they? You don't need to tell them that. But when you draw it up, and we look at it, and we say, well, this is Category 1, people. I have to buy them presents. Right. These, are, these are Category 6 people. You know, they get an apple or, or something. <laughs> Put into a relatively high category, Jesus. I go and buy a present for Jesus. And the present might be a check to some village to get a water pump, or it might be a check to a Romanian orphanage or mm-hmm. something or other. Yes. But put put him down on the list of gifts that you've sent that off, that you've bought the scarf for Uncle Fred, and you've bought the the jewels and the, you know, the rings and so on for close family members. And you've bought... Uh, an eye operation for a child in Afghanistan as well. I think that's my second thing that's important. And I would say the third thing I would advise is that in secular society, just taking society on the broader scale, there are more suicide attempts (laughs) at Christmas than any other time in the year. There are more marital breakups in the immediate aftermath of Christmas than any other time in the year. There are more people putting their head in their hands at the thought of being with family. Now, this seems counter-logical at first sight, but if you think about it a little bit more, it tells me this very loudly, that coming together and the, the whole of this season produces such stresses on people that that which is cracked is liable to fall to pieces. And, and I would say to our Orthodox listeners, our friends and, and people hearing this, be very careful and be peaceful and don't be caught up in this paganized consumer frenzy. Have time and peace for yourself. And when you feel frenzied, because this is what happens over Christmas, step back out of the rat race and say, ultimately, this is about celebrating joy and love with people I love and honoring the poor for the sake of Christ and saying, at the end of the day, Christ is born. Glorify him. Thank you so much, Father John. Listeners, to hear more from Father John McGuckin, check out his podcast, Turning to the Fathers, or search our website, M-C-G-U-C-K-I-N, to find other interviews with him on Come Receive the Light. Thank you, Father John. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Theologically Thinking with Father John McGuckin. 
This has been a production of the Orthodox Christian Network.